So, welcome to another edition of the Thought Police. Slightly later than advertised this week because, you know, in these difficult times, as we always say, you know, you can never guarantee that people are going to be around at the same time every every single week. I'm Mike Graham. Matt Kelly is with us as well. Matt, very good afternoon to you. Hello, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, not bad at all. How's life up in the wilds of uh, Norwich? It's uh, very pleasant, always, always lovely in Norfolk. I'm just looking at the uh, at a beautifully fat pheasant ambling across the lawn. Oh, nice. I, presume probably, I think he would have been shot by now under any other circumstances. So all <laughs> the, the grouse and the pheasants are all having a, a reprieve from the uh, from the lead bullets winging their way. Yeah, do you know, when I first moved into the house in Sussex uh, that we've, we've been in now for a few years, they used to do a shoot there um, and yeah. on the farm, like every two weeks. And all these characters right. would turn up um, in a sort of land rows with dogs and things. And the first thing that happened was this guy's Labrador came charging through uh, into the back garden of the house that we had and uh, sort of ran around in circles for a bit and then did a massive dump on the lawn. And the guy, <laughs> the guy didn't didn't even think to come and clear it up. Really? Yeah. I said, shocking. I, I went up to him later because I was walking past him. I said, by the way, you know, I don't mind your dog running onto the property. I said, but uh, if he's going to do what he just did, I'd really prefer it if you cleaned it up rather than me. I said, and I didn't have a dog, I don't think, at that point. Um, I yeah. was like, you know, I don't really like clearing up. It's like other, you know, other people's babies' nappies. You know, you don't really want to do it. But they also what? used to... They dog also, shit they smells then, worse than... Dog shit smells worse than any other shit yes, I've ever... it is horrible. Counted. It is horrible. Why is I, mean, I don't like know. Boxing. There's nothing worse than getting it on your shoe, is there? No, and actually, do you know what? When you're in... The thing I've forgotten, but in central, fox shit is just as bad. Actually, fox shit is awful because the dog rolls yeah. in it, right? The dog loves it. So if the dog... It, and it's it's a weird looking stuff as well, but the dog finds it, rolls in it, and then you literally can't get it off him for about two days. It's horrible. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember when dog shit was white? Uh, I do. Yeah, it was pa- something to do with the something to do with the dog food. It was something to do with the dog food. Yeah, absolutely right. It was white and hard as well. That's right. Yeah, you used to be able yeah. to kick it around the street. I seem to remember right. when I was a kid. But, um, yeah. but, yeah, horrible stuff. But any, but then the other thing they used to do, and, of course, my other half's a vegetarian, which so she wasn't too keen on this, used to hang the pheasants that they shot in yeah, this yeah. little this little barn area, which was open, so you could see them hanging there. And so yeah. every time we drove past, she'd be like, I really wish they'd hang those somewhere else, you know. But they, they're getting sort of broken down and seasoned. Yes, that's right, because you're not supposed to eat them straight away. Um, right. But I, I also used to some, come, and, and I used to take quite exceptions to this, because being from the city, I'm not really a country type. I was. They would be like, you, may, you might want to keep the children inside. I'm like, what? You're going to shoot one of my children by mistake because they look a bit like a pheasant. I mean, and well, they said, well, no, it's just you know for precautions. You know, luckily yeah. after about, I think it was the one season, uh, it stopped. They they didn't come back. They went somewhere else. It's a very odd a bit, thing, isn't it? A bit like Don Cheney. What was his name? Don. Uh, was it Don Cheney? Oh, shot, oh yeah, Cheney. Yeah, Dick Cheney. Dick Cheney, who shot. Shot his um, <laughs> his secretary in the face. He shot his mate, yeah. In the fa- I mean, that, that you don't. That's just ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, I've never had. I don't know about you. I've never had a fascination with guns. I've never particularly yeah. wanted one. I've never yeah. really wanted to fire one. I have fired one. Um, yeah. Once at the at the, at the New York uh, New York Police Department's firing range, I got invited to go yeah. there, and I shot one. And I didn't enjoy. Yeah. You know, some people say, "Oh, it's a great feeling when you fire a gun." I didn't enjoy it. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. Well, I got. I think I've gone into this long, rambling, epic story about my Richard and Jude experience buying a gun. In oh Paris. yes, you have. Yes, trying to smuggle it back. So that was great. It sort of, it sort of uh, put the fear of God into me for life now. Every time I right. see a firearm, 
Absolutely. Well, the American situation is very weird for me because I, whenever I go and see my sister, she's got some, you know, very well-to-do friends and they're all quite sort of, for Americans, they're, they're generally speaking sort of Democrats, they're quite lefty, you know, not as lefty as the Democrats are now, but um, yeah. there's this one woman who um, I would never have expected it of who revealed to me one night that she had a gun. Good and Lord. I said, um, you know, why do you have a gun? And she said, well, in case some burglar comes in the house. And I'm like... Why don't you just call the police? And she's like, no, I'm going to yeah. shoot him. God almighty. And I mean, I just thought, Christ almighty, this is very strange, you know? I mean, if you had um, I mean, if you had a burglar in the house and you felt threatened mm. and you did have a gun, would you have it within you to shoot the I think I would, yeah. Because, I mean, the only time that ever came anywhere near to an experience of mine was when I was living in New York and I had an office for a while. Mm. I was doing quite well, so I got this little office. It was above a coffee shop on Fifth Avenue. I think it was 166 Fifth Avenue down by sort of 23rd Street. And, of course, everyone in London thought that I had this massive kind of place next to Trump Tower. They were like, you must be doing all right. Fifth Avenue, blimey, you know. And it was in yeah. Chelsea. It wasn't a particularly, you know, salubrious place. But, um, but it got robbed three times in one week. And it turned out it was a guy who was gaining access to the building and literally going down to this all-night snooker hall down the road and saying to people, do you want a computer? Yeah, OK. And he'd come and get it. Do you want a How about printer? you want a printer? How about television? And he was literally yeah. stealing stuff to order, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And with each time he came, we put something up. Like, we put bars on the windows. Then we put some better locks on the doors. By the third time, I said, right, I'm going to have to hire a security guard, right? So I hired the security guard who was armed and bonded. And I said yeah. to him, if he comes back and you catch him, don't do anything. You call me and I'll come and bloody shoot him. <laughs> you know? <laughs> But it's the only time I've ever wanted to fire a gun. But, of course, he never came back, the bugger. <laughs> it's like that great scene in Glengarry Glen Ross. Yes. Brilliant David Mamet play. When, I love uh, that. When they break in to steal the new lead. Yes. And, and it, Jack Lemmon, it finally, well, I've given it all away now, but it finally unravels for him. Yeah. What a film. It's amazing. I've, I've, I've got that on DVD, and it's still one of those that occasionally, and I think I've done it since the lockdown, like you just want to watch it again, you know? Yeah, he is a genius. David Mamet is one of my heroes. He's yeah. an absolute genius. And uh, the favourite film of, of his that I, I love and no one else seems to have watched, because, of course, he's he did The Verdict as well. With the Paul Verdict Lee, is a great is a film. Staggeringly good film. Yeah. But there's a great film called American Buffalo, where, which starring um, uh, Dustin Hoffman. Really? And a, a sort of low-life thieves right. in New York. And they're trying to... Um, steal back a very rare coin called an American buffalo. That, oh, wow. No, I've never heard of that. It's fantastic. If you, It's quite hard to get, but if you can find it on, on Netflix, uh, I don't think it's on Netflix, but Amazon or whatever like Might that. Might be on it's Amazon, a, yeah. It's a great, great film. It's okay. one of those great films that began life as a play. Right. You know, and you can always tell them. They're quite limited characters. Yes. The, di the dialogue is fantastic. Usually happens in one location, right. and they make a film of it, and it is absolutely outstanding. American Buffalo. I shall check that out. Do you know what's yeah. amazing is we've been talking for about sort of not far off seven or eight minutes, and uh, maybe longer actually, and we haven't mentioned the old uh, situation. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Well, it's going to be with us forever. Well, do you know, I've just read a piece by um, uh, from that's come out of Europe. Uh, somebody from the World Health Organization saying prepare for a second, a more deadly wave of coronavirus in the winter in Europe. I saw that. Um, uh, yeah, and it's like, oh, great. Be, you know. Even worse than what we've gone through to start with. Mm. 
and and there's no no guarantee of a vaccine or anything you know the the most likely thing from what i can gather is that they'll find a way of kind of mitigating the harm that the disease does yes but it may well be that this is just now part of uh, part of life going yeah. forward yeah, exactly. I mean, I think there's two schools of thought now, aren't there, very clearly. There's the school of thought which says basically nobody under 40 really has died uh, or suffered in any great number. Um, and certainly nobody really in any great number has died without having some previously underlying health condition. So basically, let's just get back to normal. And then there's the yeah. other crowd who say, well, hang on a minute. Um, you know, the spread could still overwhelm the NHS if it gets too, too fast and, and too unwieldy. Yeah, I mean, and I don't really know where I am anymore. No, I don't either. And there was a guy on the radio yesterday on radio that really, if you look at it over a period of time, the sum total of people who are going to die is going to be the same. Yeah, whatever you, whatever you do, it's just a question of, as you just mentioned, can you keep it to the point that the NHS can cope with mm. with it? But you know, we've got masses of um, of excess capacity still, so that's. You know, a positive. No one's gone without a ventilator or anything like that. No. But you do. I mean, the, the the awful awful dichotomy. And I know I'm not saying anything original. Is that you know we are literally crippling our children with a financial yeah. burden. They'll be paying off for decades. Right. Maybe for something that really, at the end of the day, doesn't do any good. Really. No. Well, I mean, the people that I'm talking about who are in favour of lifting all of it. Are, are saying effectively the numbers of dead on a daily or weekly basis are no more under 40 in this particular situation than people that would normally die in car crashes. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I can't quite really get my head around that because while obviously, you know, fewer people are dying in car crashes because there's fewer cars out and about, um, that doesn't mean that it's okay, you know? Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, what do you do? I mean, you can't say, well, just let them die. No. So you do have to react. That's also part of the human condition right. is compassion, you know, the urge to help people as much as you can. Mm. So, you know, we are we are what we are and we did what we did because, yeah. you know, this chain reaction swept the world and yeah. everyone's done it. I mean, you know, you know I have these conversations with Peter Hitchens every Monday now and he's very much of the opinion that we should never have done the lockdown, which I think is wrong. Yeah. I think we should have. I think we were right to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't think there's well, any doubt the about that. Piece of evidence for me, we were to do it. Is yeah. that Peter Hitchens thinks the opposite? <laughs> well, I suppose there's a good point in that. But um, but because yeah, because whenever I say to me, "What would you have done then? Just let everybody die and just let everything carry on as normal and watch." I said one thing we couldn't have had is boatloads and lorry loads of dead people being carted through the streets like they were in Italy. No, exactly. You know, but I mean, yeah. I can't even make up my mind now about the government. I can't even. I don't even know what's going on really. I, I, I'm a bit like Brexited out of, of the whole situation. You know, where I, you know, where you start out very sure about something, um, and then you sort of slightly change your, your view. I'm now at the point where I'm kind of throwing my hands in the air, going, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that any of them can say is that we we've all been in you know uncharted territory, and. Everyone's had to make it up as they go along. Yes. And what I'm beginning to find out as well is that there's an awful lot of people that have been working through the whole pandemic thing anyway, the lockdown. They haven't been uh, stopping working because, quite frankly, they couldn't afford to. A lot of, you know, uh, self-employed plumbing, plumbers, you yeah. know, painters, people like that. Um, many yeah. of them are now telling me that they never actually stopped. Yeah. 
And that would that would sort of figure out because there were always cars on the street. You know, we never had that lockdown they had in Italy or France or Spain where literally nobody went out. That's right. Well, you needed a piece of paper signed, didn't you? To yes. Throw out a permit. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But, I mean, on the other hand, when I think about how much damage we're doing to the country, you know, everybody's doing the same damage to, to every country. So yeah. there's going to have to be some kind of worldwide recovery plan, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, you would think, I mean... God forbid I should ever agree with something Donald Trump says, but he did actually say yesterday that he was anticipating a huge res- economic resurgence next yeah. year. And I think will be, because there's got to be, you know, there's a huge pent-up demand for um, the minute that um, there's a sense of how we can live, adjust our lives so that we live with this thing. Like yeah. last week, you know, it, the, the question now is not how do we live with this thing. The question is how do we live with this yes. thing? Once we out, I think people will rush to spend, you know, and hopefully that will 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 kickstart everything again. And you know, hopefully, will will by the skin of their teeth and mm. make it through. But I am worried about this second wave because if start coming out and then in October or November everything gets shut down again. That, yeah. I don't know how you come back from that kind of thing. But also, there's other places that aren't going to come back. I mean, like the travel business, for example, I'm I'm, I'm seeing that having real problems for a long time. And also, yeah. you know, my friend Donald up in Glasgow with the garage, I mean, he's being told pretty much, even if pubs start opening their doors in the summer, um, nightclubs, forget about it. You know, you, how can you do a nightclub with social distancing? Well, they tried it in South Korea, didn't they? Yeah. They um, Well, they asked for... I think it was a gay nightclub where it all sparked off again. And there was a regulation saying you can open the party district and open the nightclubs. Everybody's got to give their name and mobile phone number in case somebody contracts it. They can trace everybody and all of that. And, of course, because there's a huge stigma about being gay in South Korea, they all gave fake numbers and fake names. And and it kicked off there. And they went back to square one. You know, I mean, it's like it's like the opening lines for a joke, isn't it? It was a guy walks into a bar in South Korea. I don't know if it's the same story. Um, (laughs) And everybody got infected uh, because he was infected. And then they had to shut down all the bars. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, but that's how easily it can trigger off again. So, Oh, God, if you think about it too much, it just makes you a bit depressed, I'm afraid. I think that's the case, isn't it? I mean, we've, I mean, we've both been very fortunate, I suppose, because we've been able to work through it, and, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, and I haven't had to do it from home either, which means I get to go out, which has kept my sanity, because I think if I was working from my house, my flat, yeah. I'd be going crazy, you know, because I have been going a bit stir-crazy at the weekends, because it's just yeah. very, very difficult to occupy yeah. yourself with any, you know, great, you know, the highlight of the day uh, is, going to the, is going to the local Waitrose, you know? Yeah. Yeah, the people I feel really sorry for are single parents in flat with two or three kids. Uh, Christ only knows how they've managed to get through mm. it because these places are, you know, it gets like a pressure cooker inside yeah. the house when you got right. when you got kids and everyone's going flaky and the the arguments and it, I think you know this spike in domestic. I was talking to a copper yesterday and he said that well he's something that struck me as very very odd thing to say actually he said the afternoon uh the sort of morning shifts have been quite quiet yeah. in um, but the afternoon shifts have been very busy and can get quite tasty because really? there's because of the domestic violence well people home. start drinking and, i guess at lunchtime do they yeah and then he said that um he said and it's of course it's completely natural and understandable and you know of course you're never going to um excuse domestic violence of any form no 
but you can see how it happens when people are kettled up together. Yeah. And and for such a long period of time, things just get out of control. You know, it's uh, yeah, totally. No, it's absolutely right. I mean, even just um, you know being with the person that you're supposed to be with as part of your family unit, but as you know, being with them constantly is a much more difficult thing to do than to be with them in the way that you normally would be, which is just part-time, really, you know? I remember uh, Paul McCartney talking about Linda McCartney Mm. uh, shortly after she died, and he said they had never spent, since they they met, they had never spent a night apart. Wow. And I thought, bloody hell, that sounds like absolute misery. I know. I know. No, because actually, I mean, funnily enough for me, because I work and live in London on my own, I, I quite like that. You know, there's there's yeah. part of me that really likes that. And as I, I told yeah. you before, whenever I've gone down, before the whole uh, the, all of this happened and I would go down at the weekends, by the time Sunday night rolls around, they're all yeah. quite happy for me to get back to London. You know, they've had yeah. enough. <laughs> yeah, and, and also, as a, as a member of a family, you adopt a different persona yeah. as, as a family member. You're on your own. You get a chance to sort of reclaim. Mm. Oh, you do. And I mean, I'm still having conversations with people um, that I would never normally have done because I would never talk to people that much. But now I find myself on the phone quite a bit. I mean, I was on the phone with my sister the other night um, because she texted me something. She said, I've got to go. This is how crazy the banking system is in America. right? She had to she had she was trying to put a check. She was trying to move some money from one account to another. Both of the accounts used to be with a New York-based bank. Right? I'm not going to say in case somebody's clever enough to work out how to do it, steal money yeah. from her. Um, but one of the one of the accounts somehow got bought by another bank. Right now, because yeah. they've got such a weird system in America, the the banking system is not universally federal. So right. she goes up to Connecticut, and there's no representation for the bank at all in right. that part of Connecticut. Right, so she's going to have to now drive for an hour to go to an ATM machine, which is representative no. of this particular bank. And I said, you know what's going to happen? Because she tried to do it on an app, it didn't work, there was a problem, so she's going to actually have to deposit a cheque. Now, I can't even remember the last time I saw a cheque, never mind deposit okay. one. And yeah. I said, you know what's going to happen? You're going to drive for an hour to Fairfield, which is where she's got to go. You're going to get to the ATM machine, and it's going to be out of order. <laughs> I'll tell you what, that is, the, that is the best way to avoid anybody actually claiming any refunds for any small business or something, is send them a cheque. Right. Because what the hell do you do with a cheque? I know. Do you I ever know. hear that great story about... I think it was Paul Raymond who um, set up a... I might be doing him a disservice, mm. but... Oh, no, it was... Uh, what's his face? The Richard Desmond, I think. Oh, yeah. Who... One of his first businesses was he bought a massive stash, a warehouse full of uh, porn magazines that were oh, going to yeah. get pulped for some reason, unsold yes. porn. And he put an offer into um, a newspaper saying, you know, this is before the internet, obviously, 10 porn magazines delivered in a uh, brown envelope to your door right. uh, for, a, for a tenner or something like this, right? And was was sent loads of stuff, loads of money, and sent loads of magazines out. Right. And then, so he, he ran out of mags, but then he put the same advert in the next month and got loads of responses, loads of people sending tenors in. And then he sent them a, a check back saying, sorry, we've sold out. And on the check, was, it was written from, you know, like Asian babes, <laughs> 40 DDD, right. you know, re- refund to Mr. Mike Gray. Right. So they wouldn't put it in. None of them got cashed, yeah. <laughs> He is a slippery customer, which reminds me of that. Do you remember that famous interview between Jerry Paxman and Tony Blair, where um, Paxman was quizzing him about some of his donors and how dodgy they all were? And I think it was in the midst of the whole um, Bernie Eccleston, you know, Formula One scandal. 
um, yeah. when they were taking money from all sorts of people. And he, Desmond's name came up. And he said, but you do know, Prime Minister, that this is a man who produces porn magazines, don't you? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, 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 and old Tony Blair's going, well, of course, I know he has a publishing uh, house and he publishes a great many things. He says, do you know that one of the titles of one of the magazines that he produces is Skinny and Wrigley? <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, you've never seen Tony Blair wriggling on the stick more. He was like, really? And Paxman, of course, saw that it wouldn't let it go. He's like, Skinny and Wrigley, Prime Minister. Skinny and Wrigley. He just kept saying it, you know. And the people were just absolutely horrified that here he was taking money from this guy, you know. That is brilliant. That mm. is brilliant. So, I, I mean, go on. Uh, I don't know why, but you've just triggered the memory. Of, do you ever remember that Alan Clark documentary, The Fly on the Wall documentary for yes. Alan Clark, yes. the old uh, Tory minister who yeah. was in love with nature? And, I mean, he's in many was a, quite a despicable character, I think, for for a number of. But he was filmed in ancestral home of his. Um, yeah, he had a castle, didn't he? He had a castle, and he's sitting in the scene was, and I must find it on YouTube because it is bloody hilarious. He's sitting in this uh, big, marvelous red Chesterfield mm. armchair by a roaring log fire. He's got a little antique side table and a glass of scotch next to him, right. and he's sitting there reading Viz magazine, right? <laughs> <laughs> And he says, Biz Magazine, I absolutely love it. Re- top tips, marvellous, marvellous, marvellous. Here's a good one. Taxi drivers, why don't you go into your local garage and get those indicators fixed so the rest of us know where the fuck you're going? <laughs> <laughs> and it was just the most incongruous thing you've ever yes. seen. Very I mean, I, mean I, I know what you mean when you say he was a bit of an odious character because he had some views that you, you certainly wouldn't adhere to, and, and neither would I. But he was a character, though. I mean, he was a real, uh, absolutely great guy to have around the world of politics, I think. But I think, I think he was... Stuff is, has come out about him where he is, like, right-wing beyond, beyond any kind of... Um, oh, he was uh, sort of the good old-fashioned sort of Monday club type, wasn't he? I think he thought that Hitler was on the money, you know? <laughs> I know, but I mean, you see, when you look at what the Tory party used to be, though, um, I mean, I was talking about uh, about this just the other day. You know, when you look at the cabinet that they've now got, I mean, apart from the first two or three, you'd probably say apart from the first none, um, mm. they haven't got a lot of uh, strength or, or, or sort of yeah. wit or indeed character. I mean, when they yeah. put, put old uh, old Robert Generic out there, as he's known, yeah. um, and, and the other guy that they had out the other day, Ashok, what's his name? I mean, you just wonder why they've bothered. I mean, why would and you Matt, even put this guy out there? Yeah, I mean, even big shots like Matt Hancock, who, uh, you know, I mean, just bumbling away and rambling and incoherent. And I mean, I think Hancock's doing an okay job, actually. But but I can understand why you wouldn't agree with that. But but I mean, way, but, well, but the trouble is, if he's the, one of the best they've got, you're in yes, a bit of trouble. You know, where the hell is Pretty Patel? Well, I was asking that same question. Um, I can only assume, I've come to the conclusion that they're frightened of Pretty Patel, they're frightened of what she's going to say, they're frightened of letting her off the leash, and they're just generally frightened of putting her out front representing anything. I mean, I literally have not seen sight or sound of her for several weeks now, the bloody home secretary. Well, she did those two Saturday um, presentations, didn't she, which, which, yeah. of, of which I only saw one, uh, where she messed up the number. And then she was she was in a select committee where she was getting grilled by, um, what's the name, uh, Yvette Cooper. Yeah. Um, and the only reason I remember that is because I interviewed Quentin Letts on the show the day after because he'd written a brilliant sketch in which he described um, 
um, Yvette Cooper as the woman that runs the nursery, which I thought was great, you know. Um, and then he, every time he mentioned Pretty Patel, he quoted her with, you know, dropping the Gs off the end of all the words, you know. Um, but, but I mean, and she looked quite strange because she'd put her hair up and she looked very different. She looked quite glamorous, actually. Um, I mean, I think a lot of men fancy Pretty Patel. Yes. Oh, no, no question. I mean, very, very... She exudes sexuality. There's yeah. no question of that. But... She, often enough because you find her anyway yeah i know it's very i find it all very surreal actually you know yeah i don't yeah. know i don't know i don't i mean I'm, I'm i'm not genuine generally um supportive of a government and i'm not particular and i don't find myself being particularly supportive of this lot i'm supportive of the of the aim if you like you know i'm not going to yeah. sit there and criticize every single second of every single day um yeah. like some of those people did about the stay alert thing you know what does it mean yeah. Well, just, you know, stay alert. That's what it means, you know. Um, but but at the same time, there's a certain kind of drift which seems to have set in, you know. Yeah. Well, my problem with the stay alert thing was, I think it's always a good idea, I think, to ask yourself, what's the opposite? Yeah. You know, what's, what, what are they asking you not to do? Mm. And, you know, stay at home, the opposite was, don't go out. Stay alert, the opposite is, is what? Yeah, I know. The, well, funnily you know, enough, I, mean, I, was talking to, I was talking to a medical guy about this today, and, and he was sort of saying, actually, no, it wasn't him, it was Mark Wallace from Conservative Home, and he said, well, it's not a great idea to keep changing the slogan, because the problem yeah. with doing that is that you have to keep finding a new slogan. And, and as I said to him, if they find a new slogan for phase three, which means stay alert becomes redundant, presumably people yeah. will then say, does this mean we have to stop being alert? Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> Chill out. What's the next one? Yeah, chill. Yeah, just just don't, don't worry about it. You know, yeah, relax. Yeah, take it easy. It's just, oh, I just, I don't know. But but I mean, there are times. I mean, I'm, I've not been too depressed lately. But there are times when I wake up in the morning and I just think, I can't believe that I feel like this is now just normal. Yeah. I mean, are I you think... are you going to be stuck up there for a while? Is there any chance of you coming back? Well, I think. Um... We'll have to at some point, obviously. Mm. But we're—I mean, I think this thing about being able to drive to places now is helpful. Although I'm not clear about whether it means, you know, people like us who are lucky enough to have a couple of places. Yeah. And does that mean you can go back to London? Um, I'm, you know, I'm told that uh, the queues for food and stuff like that in London are much more extensive than they are. In Norfolk, so, yes. I mean, I've um, tend I'm, I tend to now do most of my shopping on a Saturday morning, which means right. it's pretty quiet. Um, in fact, last weekend I went on Friday afternoon just to see, and it was quite a long queue to get into Waitrose down in Greenwich. But it, but it went in. It was a less than ten minute wait, you know. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Um, so I think it just depends where you are, really. You know, but but I think you can certainly get around it. You don't have to wait and queue up for everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, I, the trouble is, is like they're basically saying, well, you can you can drive, but you can't stay there, kind of thing, you know. So you can drive yeah. to a place, you can do whatever you do when you're there. I mean, that was the ridiculous part of it, wasn't it? When that guy, yeah. the first guy up on the press conference on the on the Monday, said, well, what if I go and meet a friend of mine in the park, pre-arranged, and then while we're there, another guy shows up that I know. Yeah. Should I go home? Yeah. I'm like, what? I'll have to acknowledge. What are you talking about? Why don't you well, just say hello? Yeah, I mean, this is what I would say, Mike, and I think you'd probably agree with me, is that they've got to set some sort of rule, and it's very easy to say, oh, okay, then, what about this, then? You yeah. know, and, of course, you know, this is where people... You've got to demonstrate some sort of goodwill to the intent of what the government's trying to do. Yeah. And say, okay, I get it, I get it. Right. Uh, 
and I'm going to be sensible about it. Right. Um, and I think they I, are. And I think they are actively trying not to be specific because if they're specific, yeah. people then go, "Oh, so I can't do this thing because you said I, I can only do that." Yeah. Yeah. Well, relying on common sense is uh, is a route to disaster. Well, because well, so few people have got any. Exactly. I know. That does worry me. But my favourite was Wales um, and this whole kind of Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland thing. I love the fact that somebody <laughs> said, so basically, um, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland are not going out. Uh, it's a bit like a World Cup, isn't it? <laughs> 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 but, you know, the idea that they're all sort of huddling together because they all agree that it's the right thing to do is so ridiculous. And yeah. the bloke in Wales, whose name I keep forgetting, Wakeford or something like that, um, yeah after telling everyone they have to stay at home, then the next day opens the golf courses. So you're going, ah, all right, so you can't go out, but you've just opened a golf course. What, what have you done that for? You know, <laughs> and That's the kind of golf I would like, is, is golf that you have to play on your own. That's fine. <laughs> do you know, I used to do a lot of that in Scotland. One of the things I loved about living up in Scotland was that I could take off, um, sort of, sometimes in the morning, sometimes in the afternoon, and drive over to, say, you know, Gillen... Um, uh, or don't drive up to don't drive down to Turnberry, play quick eighteen holes in a couple of hours, and then go go to work. It was fantastic, no. you know. Did you see Nicker um, talking about the time he uh, he played golf with uh, um, Michael Jordan? No, the basketball great. Oh, it was well, a, Jordan was a great. Have you watched that uh, that Chicago I've Bulls thing? It's fantastic, yeah. isn't it? Well, it's, it's really a... good. But I tell you what, um, it's uh, uh, he became a massive gambler. Well, he was always a gambler, but a, a massive golfing gambler. He used to play for like a million dollars. So this is exactly the story, right? So Gary Lineker gets this call. I think it was Sunningdale, right? And right. where Lineker's a member. And he gets right. the call from from uh, his agent or Jordan's agent or someone yeah. saying, look, Michael Jordan's in the UK, wants to play Sunningdale. He's got two mates with him. Right. Can you? Do you know how we can get him in? And he wants to play on a Sunday, and you can't play without a member on a Sunday. Right. So Gary Lineker says, "Well, I'll play with him, of course." Right. right. So he gets uh, a phone call the night before. He says, "The guy says it's now uh, there's six of them now, and <laughs> that one, there's there's Michael Jordan, four professional basketball players, all L. Jackson, right? right. Hey, he's a big golfer. I nearly played golf with him, but that's another story." Right, so he says, right, I'll try my mate. I think his name was Queenie, I think, who was a European tour golfer, right? right. He says, play, right? So they've got members to play two rounds of golf. And he gets there, and this fella, Queenie, Lineker's mate, says to Jordan, so do you fancy a bet on this, right. Michael? Right. And Jordan says, like a flash, says, sure do, son, yeah, whatever you like. And, he, and uh, this guy, Queenie, says... How much would you like to wager? Right. And Jordan right. says, whatever makes you uncomfortable, man. <laughs> <laughs> and Lineker said, Mr. Jordan has just won the day. Right, <laughs> Jesus. I mean, I, I mean, I, I remember reading stories. He used to play with Tiger Woods. He was that good as well. He was like a single handicap player. Um, wow, wow. And uh, he used to play for sort of, you know, he'd be talking about playing for sort of $100,000 a hole or something ridiculous. My God. You know? What a, but what a... That is that's on Netflix. If anyone's interested, it's absolutely yes. fabulous. Oh yeah, it is. It really is. Called, um, Sorry, I missed that last bit. It's called the last. Yes, it is. And funnily enough, I lived in America when that team was that team, and they were the sort of the glamour team of they were the LA Lakers of their time, you know. And Michael Amazing. Jordan was just incredible, and he was also really responsible for the first 
ever kind of um, massive sale of, of, of sneakers, you know, of, of, of trainers, right. because Air Jordans, Air Jordans were the thing that every kid in America wanted to have. Right, that's right. Amazing. Well, Amazing. very good, man. Well, listen, I think your line is starting to break up a bit now, so it's probably a good time to, uh, to knock Fair it on the head. But listen, good man. Thank you uh, to everyone for listening. Sorry it's a bit late this week, but uh, we'll try and see you next week a bit earlier on. See you next week. See you, guys. And the first thing that happened was this guy's Labrador came charging through uh, into the back garden of the house that we had and sort of ran around in circles for a bit and then did a massive dump on the lawn. And the guy, <laughs> the guy didn't didn't even think to come and clear it up. Really? Yeah. That's I said, shocking. I, I went up to him later because I was walking past him. I said, by the way, you know, I don't mind your dog running onto the property. I said, but uh, if he's going to do what he just did, I'd really prefer it if you cleaned it up rather than me. I said, and I didn't have a dog or anything at that point. Um, I yeah. was like, you know, I don't really like clearing up. It's like other, you know, other people's babies' nappies. You know, you don't really want to do it. But they also well, used to. They dog also. Shit they smells worse than, dog shit smells worse than any other shit yes, I've ever. It is horrible. Encountered. It is horrible. Why is that? I, I mean, don't like know. Boxing. There's nothing worse than getting it on your shoe, is there? No, and actually, do you know what? When you're in the thing, I've forgotten, but in central, fox shit is just as bad. Actually, fox shit is awful because the dog rolls yeah. in it, right? The dog loves it. it so if the dog. It, and it's it's a weird looking stuff as well, but the dog finds it, rolls in it, and then you literally can't get it off him for about two days. It's horrible. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember when dog shit was white? With each time he came, we put something up, like we put bars on the windows, then we put some better locks on the doors. By the third time, I said, right, I'm going to have to hire a security guard, right? So I hired the security guard who was armed and bonded. And I said yeah. to him, if he comes back and you catch him, don't do anything. You call me and I'll come and bloody shoot him. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but it's the only time I've ever wanted to fire a gun. But of course, he never came back. Do you know that one of the titles of one of the magazines that he produces is Skinny and Wrigley? <laughs> <laughs>